Hey guys, welcome to the Anti-Macro Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Diana Lee. I spent years steeped in diet culture, obsessively weighing, measuring, and tracking my food. In 2019, I ditched macro tracking for good, and now I've made it my mission to help you swap diets for real food freedom. It's time to unfuck your mindset and stop letting food control you. Let's dive in. In case you missed it, I spent about 17 months rehabbing chronic back pain with the help of my coach, David Sluss. Back in November of 2022, I brought David on the podcast to talk about our personal journeys with back pain and some lessons learned along the way. And this has been the most popular episode on the podcast to date. I think a huge reason why is because back pain is almost universal. Sadly, it's one of the most commonly cited pains I hear about in the fitness space, yet because it's so common, it's become almost accepted as a fact of life. Since this is such a common issue, I decided to bring David back onto the podcast for us to expand upon the topic of back pain and cover things we didn't cover on the first episode. You'll find some common myths confirmed or busted, suggestions on what to do if you're experiencing back pain or a flare-up, and we also get into some pretty interesting general topics around pain. Enjoy. So pretty cool that your last episode with me what is still reigning to this day as my top most listened to episode on the podcast so it's only fitting to bring you back and just we should do it all over again but this time you know last time we talked about our own journeys through back pain and rehab and recovery and this time now I want to open that up to a little bit more of a discussion of helping people understand why the hell do we deal with back pain so often? Like, why is this one of the most common issues that I feel like anybody tells me about and what can we do about it? And what do we need to understand about it? So one of the places I want to start with is, so, you know, I'm back in, I'm in group fitness still. And every time I talk to somebody, anytime someone describes me an injury, I feel like more often than not, they're telling me that they have back pain to some degree. And I want to go into like beyond direct injury, what are some of the common causes of back pain that we can, I know it's a very broad question, but (laughs) in a nice succinct way. Yeah. And we're, like you said, we're not really talking about somebody that had like an acute injury where they said, oh, I hurt my back, but we're talking more about kind of like a chronic thing. People that are like, They have it for a little bit. It's gone. It comes back. Right. That's kind of what we're. Yeah. General population. I feel like, you know, the common thing that we hear is, oh, you hit your thirties and all of a sudden back pain happens and people don't know why we're just like, oh, I'm falling apart. But really we're, I feel like we're too young to be falling apart and too young to be, or we shouldn't be okay with that being our normal. Yeah. We definitely shouldn't be okay with pain. And I think a lot of it comes down to lifestyle. You know, like, not to be like, to take it way back, but if we think about what we've been doing for a long time on the earth is hunting and gathering, right? And that's what movement, us us moving our bodies is to acquire things, right? So when you're a baby, you learn how to crawl so you can go and acquire your little toys and your food and stuff. And then as we grow up, as we came up, we, you learn how to walk. You learn how to run so you can get stuff and, you know, adapt to your environment and change your environment. 
And, you know, that's what humans did for a long time was wake up in the morning and you're instantly moving, right? Like you get out of your little cave bed or something and you go outside and you go to the bathroom, maybe you squat down and go to the bathroom and then you go look for food or you collect some berries, maybe try to hunt down an animal. And that's what we did forever. And that's what our bodies are designed to do. We're designed to move. And nowadays we don't do that, right? A lot of people, you know, we, we think of exercising for 45 minutes a day. And I think it's, it's great if people are even able to get that in, right? Like sometimes we're too busy, can't get it in. And then from that, we develop a lot of dysfunction. We develop a lot of, we lose a lot of capacity to move, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. We're sitting all the time. And more often than not, we also have, and when I say we, this is very collective because I'm in that camp, but we have poor posture, right? We're hunched over our computers a lot of times. And then I think there's that combination of we're in these poor positions that impact our mobility. And then we step foot into, you know, the gym and we try to put our body into these positions for only an hour a day. And a lot of times our bodies are not prepared to be in those positions. So I feel like mobility is a huge part of it as well. I, yeah, I totally agree. And you kind of nailed it, right? It's like, especially in the, the kind of like functional or the, the, um, the group class kind of high intensity training space, we're putting our body in some pretty extreme positions. And if you're only doing that stuff, for that one hour, once a week, we're probably not prepared for it. Your body's probably not prepared for it. And you can get away with a lot for some of us longer than others. But at a certain point, you know, something is going to break or explode or hurt or whatever, you know, something's going to happen. And it's like, you can't, you can't expect to be able to do things that you aren't preparing yourself for on a fairly regular basis. Uh, and I think that's what we do, right? I think we, you know, it's fun to do these classes. It's fun to do, you know, these cool movements. But, you know, if, you're, if your shoulder isn't ready for that muscle up, at a certain point, something's going to pop. Right. You know, or if, if your back is not ready for that deadlift, something's going to pop. Right. And so it comes down to also like form and technique and how we move. And sometimes we can do our best with, one, working with a coach to learn proper form and technique, but also two, you know, paying attention to that form and technique and honing in on it. But sometimes admittedly our mobility or our body's ability to get into those positions hinders our ability to move well. And I feel like too many people don't appreciate working on that mobility. And part of it is time. We don't have a ton of time. And so we want to get our workout in for the hour a day that we have to ourselves, but there's more time that we need to be spent also doing mobility so that we way we can work out properly and correctly. Yeah. And uh, yes. And it's a super tricky balance between what am I going to spend my time on today? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you and I are lucky that we're in fitness and maybe we have a little bit more time sometimes to do some of that stuff average person you know is probably locked into that maybe one hour a day um and like you said what am i going to do am i going to do some mobility or am i going to you know go and do the class the, the easy answer to that question is go do class it's way more fun 
way more sexy. You know, you get to see your friends. Um, but once you have hurt something and we're talking about our back, once your back hurts, then you start to value that mobility. And I think a message that hopefully this podcast, you know, can reach out to some people is get ahead of it. You know, like let's start working on some of that mobility now. Let's start really thinking about that now because there's a high probability that you're going to experience some type of pain, potentially high potential for some back pain. If you're doing, you know, some of this, some of these classes. Yeah. I mean, I am going to disagree with one thing you said, and that's the assumption that people in fitness have more time because I beg to differ. I, I think as a, you know, childless adult, I have more time than parents, let's say, but I am just as busy as anybody else. I think running a business a lot of times makes me feel busier and being in the fitness industry. I mean, it's not forgiving. So when I was in it full-time and I was on the floor full-time, like that takes up a lot of your time. So I think it comes down to what we prioritize, right? And a lot of times we do prioritize that one hour in our day to do our fitness, because like you said, it's sexy and mobility is admittedly boring. It's not sexy. It does not contribute to, let's say direct, you know, we're not saying, oh my God, I lift weight. I lifted weight. So now all of a sudden I'm going to get muscle. But I do think that it has to become a priority of you're willing to spend even 10 to 15 minutes a day putting down your phone, not scrolling, or if you're sitting and watching TV, maybe doing your mobility while you're doing it and just prioritize it. And that's what I do. And I also think sometimes we work out too much. I see a lot of people who are doing double sessions. They're spending hours a day at the gym or they're working out every single day. And I have straight up told people you only need to work out realistically, like maybe four days a week. That's usually my split. And then on the days off, that's the time to focus on mobility. That's the time to dedicate towards stretching and recovery and all of that stuff that we claim we quote unquote, don't have time for like, just go to the gym less. <laughs> and I don't feel bad saying that. Yeah, no, I, I love that message that you that you send out because it's spot on, you know, like people are constantly overtrained and constantly overtraining and chasing, you know, like this more, more, more thing. And, and you, you are good about kind of delivering that message to kind of, Hey, back it off. Like you'll feel better and you will get better results. And you know, the people that listen, I'm sure agree, you know, part of it too is like, I think a lot of individuals do a good job of planning out like their, their days and and kind of planning the stuff out just plan the mobility in like you said like on those days off give yourself that 30 to 60 minutes to kind of work on some of the stuff that your body will that so desperately needs and will thank you for you know yeah and so one of the things that you've mentioned to me right when we're talking mobility I think a lot of times people also equally think stretching but as you and I know mobility and stretching are different. And I feel like also when people have back pain, one of the first things they automatically go to is, oh, well, I sat and I stretched. And usually it's like also the first time they've stretched ever. And it's only when with the onset of pain, but you've told me, Hey, just be careful with how much you stretch because you can overstretch, which could impact that back pain in a negative way. So can you explain that a little bit? And then what what do we need to know the difference between mobility and stretching? 
Yeah, totally. There, there are a lot of times you use kind of interchangeably or as almost the same thing. And you're right, they're definitely not. Flexibility, I think, would be defined more as your body's ability to get into a passive range of motion, right? So doing something where I'm, where I'm putting myself in that position, but not doing anything in this position, where mobility is, can I actually use this position? Can I actually, do I have strength in here? Do I have, do I have motor control in this position? And a lot of people, I think almost all people have way more passive flexibility than they have active mobility. And that can cause a lot of problems, right? Like just because you can go into a range of motion doesn't mean you should go there unless you have strength in that range of motion. So think of flexibility more as a passive thing. Think of mobility as an active thing. Mobility, like, can I move within this position and do I have control in these positions or ranges of motion? Um, and, and developing them are very different, right? Developing your flexibility is kind of sitting in that range of motion, letting your nervous system relax and accept that range of motion where active mobility is I, I actually need to do some strength work here i need to i need to put active inputs into this range of motion so i can be strong here yeah what would lo that look like can you give an example for somebody who's not as familiar with what mobility would look like uh yeah so let's take like your shoulder I know we're talking about backs, but let's take your shoulder, for example. Like if I stretch my arm out on a wall, classic shoulder kind of pec stretch, right? Like you put your hand on the wall, your arm is flat against the wall, and you kind of rotate away from that wall, and you feel a stretch in your pec and your bicep, and you feel a stretch. That's a passive range of motion. When you come off of that wall, and you stick your arm out to the side, and you actively reach that arm back as far as you can, it's probably not gonna go into the same spot that you had it on the wall. It's not gonna go as far back. So you passively, using that wall, you passively have gotten your shoulder into this position that you don't own, right? You're kind of, you're hanging out there, you're renting that position. You take your arm off the wall and then you retest, kind of reach back and how far you can reach that shoulder back is your active range and that's kind of your mobility. And then when you look at, you know, if you load that, if I hold some weight there, if I have somebody pushing my arm and I push back into it, that's your kind of active strength in that range of motion, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense to me. I don't know if it helps that I'm watching you go yeah. over that. But I do think that you explained that really well. And it's funny that you said, okay, like, let's talk about our shoulder. I know we're talking about backs, but a lot of times what we see is it starts in the back. And then it goes to the outer limbs. So for me personally, it was my back was injured and that impacted my knees. And I've even texted you since I used to not be able to run like at all, even short distances. And after completing my rehab with you and being pretty pain-free in my back, I tried running again and my knees were fine. And just understanding that that's connected, I think is huge for a lot of people. Oh yeah. It's the, the bio flow. It's all connected. Um, I hear quickly, like another, another example of active and passive range. 
is like if you're sitting on the ground and you reach and touch your toes and then you stand up and you stand on one leg and you lift one leg as high as you can you're not going to be able to lift that leg super high right um and maybe you can touch your toes you lift that leg up you try to touch your toes very it's a very different animal so when you're actively moving the weight of your body and you're activating you know muscles on both sides versus just kind of lengthening one side of a, a muscle right so what does someone have to be aware of when it comes to overstretching? what would that look like you know at what point do we say stretching is good for the back and then at what point do we say you hit a point where it's not good for the back or how would you explain to somebody what happens when you quote unquote overstretch? Well, I kind of touched on it before when I said like, just because you can go into a certain range of motion doesn't necessarily mean you should go there and load it unless you've kind of prepared yourself for that. So with stretching, you know, what, what we're doing is when you're stretching, you're kind of training your nervous system to let you go into this range of motion. You're, you're teaching your, your brain to say, okay, like it's safe to go here. And it is in a passive kind of situation but then if all of a sudden you know you you're loading that that tissue might not be ready or like those areas might not be ready and then something's going to pop or break or get injured so when your back hurts sometimes stretching will feel good you know it'll feel good for a little bit and then at a certain point it's like hey it doesn't feel good anymore it's actually kind of hurting and it's like yeah you're just kind of you know, something is wrong, something is injured, and you're just cranking on it, and you're trying to go further and further into some some area that's already not happy, right? So you have some information, you know, your back is hurting, and then you stretch, and you stretch more, and you think more is going to kind of like get you out of that pain, but it might actually, you might be stretching something that doesn't need to be stretched, it needs to be strengthened. And there's, it's, your brain doesn't know the difference between what it needs. You have to kind of figure that out for yourself. And a lot of times when we have pain, it's because of a lack of strength. Oh, I love that last piece. When we have pain, it's because we have a lack of strength, which is, you know, true. it's like people talk about, they have weak cores, right? Weak midline. And a lot of that is okay. We don't train to strengthen that midline. A lot of people respect the, the six pack abs, and then we do a bunch of crunches, but that doesn't actually make your midline functional. And something, you know, that I love that we worked on a lot together in your program, you continuously put in carries, you continuously put in uh, lots of planks, side planks, forward planks, hollow holds, all these things that train my core to be much stronger, but very few, and they were still there, but very few sit-ups and crunches. And, you know, I think that is so much more functional. So I love those movements. I always get really excited anytime they're programmed in a workout because I'm like, this is where core strengthening actually happens, not just crunches. Yeah, the real strength comes from like, it's more, when you're doing a carry, you're doing more of like an isometric, right? You're kind of, you're activating that muscle and you're activating it for a long time. A lot of times when people do get injuries in their back, it's because of a lack of endurance, right? Like the first, you're doing a set of squats the first couple reps are good. The last rep is usually where you hurt your back, right? It's not on the first one and your back was strong enough up until that endurance ran out. So these carries, 
you know, they're, what you're able to do is you're able to kind of do this long isometric and then you're developing that capacity so that all these other movements that we're doing and our squatting and deadlifting, you know, you're able to kind of be a little bit safer for a little bit longer because you've gained that endurance. Right. I think Carrie should be, you know, in every, every single program, no matter what the, the goal is for training, I think carrying something for whether it's light for a long distance or heavy for a short distance, they should always be rotated in huge for, uh, for overall like health. Yeah. We currently do them in my gym's programming all the time and people will not always complain, but they'll point out, like, God, we do a lot of these. And I'm like, good <laughs> as we should. I don't think at least at the CrossFit gyms that I have been at that we did enough carries. I felt like that wasn't integrated at least into our programming often enough. And I do have just a newfound respect for them, especially after working with you, that this should be something that we do on a very regular basis. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll say it's probably not the most exciting stuff you can do, but the benefit is so huge. It's worth it. It's worth every minute you spend on that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So when somebody is feeling back pain, what is the best way for them to actually go about, for lack of a better word, treating their back pain, right? So I feel like the common thing that people will do is one, I've heard people say, oh, well, I just took a few rest days. Like, all right, well, did you do anything during those rest days, right? We think I just needed to step away from the gym and wait until the pain goes away. And then when it's gone, I'll come back. And then two, if they are doing anything on their rest days, they are stretching. But really, what do you think people should do if they are feeling back pain and they want to eliminate that pain and get back into the gym? I think movement is the key. You know, motion is the potion for most people. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, taking a little bit of time to rest, especially for the folks that are like consistently overtrained. But yeah, you're right. The prescription is usually, oh, I took somewhere between three and seven days off. I did nothing. I watch TV and I stretch and it, you know, maybe it calms down and it feels a little bit better. And then two weeks later, their back hurts again, right? You're not doing that is not really fixing anything. So what I have my clients do and what I recommend to everybody is in when your back hurts, you got to keep moving, right? You need to start learning how to segment your spine. You got to do the cat cow thing. You got to walk. You have to do tolerable you know, a little bit of pain is not the end of the world, but you want to keep that pain, you know, fairly low, but you have to move, you have to, you have to move your body and you have to start addressing these issues of why you have back pain. You know, there's a, when you have back pain, it's not because of nothing. There's a reason and there you have to find it and you have to start really working on that stuff in a very active way. Right. So accepting that this is not normal. This is not something we all are just supposed to go through and accept as our bodies, quote unquote, break down in age, but instead figure out genuinely like what's at the root cause of this and how can we get out of it? You know, and I, I think I spent so much time in pain because I, I had back pain since I was preteen, like 10, 11 years old. It was a product of being a gymnast. And then I spent most of my twenties training like for lack of a better word here training like an asshole <laughs> and really treating my body terribly thinking well I just had to deal with it 
And I, this was just my normal because it had been what I had lived all of my life. And then after working with you being like, wait a minute, being pain-free is possible. I didn't know I could be at this point in my life, but I also think it's important for people to recognize for the most part, most of you guys do have back pain that can be resolved. You just have to actually take care of it. Totally. Yeah. One of the worst things you can do when you're feeling back pain is to try to ignore it. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause you can, you can for a little bit. And some people, you know, if you're, you got high pain tolerance and you're tough and you're really driven, you could probably ignore it, you know, like you did for years and just keep working. But at a certain point you hit the wall and, you know, maybe you can't do anything. And then, then it's time to dive in. So one of the worst things you can do is try to ignore it and not take an active approach on, Hey, how am I going to, what's going on here? And how am I going to get a handle on this thing? Right. Absolutely. What are some big no-nos that you think people do when they are trying to manage their back pain? Like what are some big red flags, things that people should not be doing that you see happening a lot? Well, the first one for sure is pretend like it's not there. Ignore Mm -hmm. it. That one's huge because it's just going to get worse. Um, Definitely the next thing would be resting too long, you know, because you've experienced this and I've experienced this when you have back pain and you're trying to work your way out of it, you're going to be in pain. Mm -hmm. You know, you definitely don't want to be making it like way worse, but you're going to be in pain. So one would be ignore it. Two would be not do anything and just hope that, you know, it goes away. Three would be take copious amounts of over the counter you know, painkillers like Advil and stuff and just pop those Advil during the day, Advil PM at night, you know, you're kind of destroying yourself at that point as well. Um, and I think a fourth one, which we, we've been touching on the whole time is trying to get rid of it in a passive way. And I think that's really common is like people want to, people want to do anything except for work on it, right? Like, they want to go to get some acupuncture. They want to go to the chiropractor. They want to take a magic pill. They want to take something. It's like, you got to work on this stuff. You know, there's something, there's some dysfunction going on in your body that the only way to fix is by working on it. Yeah. I love that last part. Cause I did, I always tell people that my recovery was a huge mix of things right? Like I did chiropractic care for years and granted my spine was genuinely in the wrong position for a while and chiropractic care did straighten out my spine. But once I was straight, that did not solve my problems. It did not actually eliminate my pain. And I did have to ultimately, I, you know, I worked with you and did all of that strengthening, just rebuilt my body. I feel like from the ground up, <laughs> I remember week one of starting, it was just boring shit. <laughs> you know, it's not exciting, but truly rebuilt all the way through. And then I also did massage therapy, but you would also tell me, okay, like you need to manage your stress. You need to make sure that you're walking. Uh, a huge issue of mine is sitting for too long because I get so wrapped up in work. And I know that that causes problems. So it's a whole mixture of a little bit of everything. But I like that you mentioned, okay, like, let's not just do something passive about it. It's not just about getting that acupuncture. It's not just about getting adjusted by a chiropractor, but you need to do something about it. 
Yeah. And, and I'm not trashing chiros or acupuncture. Chiros are great. Acupuncture, I think, is helpful. Like everything has its place. Um, I, have a, I have a friend who's a physical therapist and she's like, she says like, uh, everybody wants to get their nails done, but nobody wants to do their own nails. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like that idea of like, if you're always kind of giving your problem to somebody else, like, Hey, this person fix me, this person fix me. Mm -hmm. Like it, it might work for a little bit, but you're never really like, you're never going to be fixed from these things that, that are external. There has to be like an internal component to the healing journey, or it's never going to really be gone. Right. I agree. And we have to make time for it. And a lot of people will say, so I think one of the biggest mindset setbacks that people will have is they're dealing with back pain and then they don't want to necessarily do the active work, let's say, because they don't quote unquote have time because they're not willing to replace their everyday workout with the activities, right? It's always added on top. Oh, I have to do these exercises on top of it. And it's like, well, what if you just did them instead? If you truly don't have time and people worry about losing progress. I feel like that's the number one thing I hear people say is, well, I don't want to rest because I don't want to lose progress, or I don't want to have to step back because I don't want to lose progress. What do you have to say to that? I think that mindset is just a little narrow because what you're doing when you're, when you're working on that mobility stuff is you're making progress. You are making progress. You're just making progress somewhere else, right? Like, just as an example, you know, maybe somebody develops some back pain from squatting. You know, they, they love to squat. They have a goal to squat 500 pounds, love to squat, go and squat three times a week. Back starts to hurt, you know, and they go see, they see a physio or they see me or they see somebody and they're like, hey, like, you know, how does your, how do your ankles look and how does your hips look? Uh, and then, you know, you do a little bit of a movement testing, you kind of check it out and you realize like their ankle doesn't move, you know, your hip does not rotate. I think you and I would both argue that in order to perform a good squat, you need to have ankles, you need to have hips, right? So it's like, if you start working on your hip and your ankle, you're improving the quality of these joints, your joint, the only, the only body that you have, your kind of meat wagon, you know, like you start improving the quality of your, the movement in your joints. That's huge improvement. Right. That's going to take you that's going to take you from this plateau or this pain in your squat to my squat actually feels good. Like I actually feel comfortable squatting again. Actually, I don't have pain again. So maybe, you know, this goal of a 500 pound squat, you kind of put that on the back burner. Now you have a goal of, hey, like, let me get my ankle dorsiflexion up. Let me get some internal and external rotation in my hip. Like, let me kind of do some things that I need to do to get my body moving better. And then that goal of that 500 pound squat becomes so much more attainable and probably quicker, you know, probably in a much quicker fashion. Yeah. I talk about this all the time because I am case in point, right? You don't want to lose progress. Well, I pushed off dealing with my pain for so long that I did have to take such a huge quote unquote setback because I took a year and a half off to rehab and to fix all of the damage that I had done to myself. And if I look back and, you know, wish that I was a little bit more mature at 21 and I took care of this ahead of time, I probably would be in a very different place in my fitness journey. But now looking at ahead, 
I put myself in such a better position to make progress moving forward because I finally fixed my issues at the ripe age of 30. (laughs) So now as I get older, my goal is I want to be lifting in my forties, my fifties, my sixties, and I have a better chance of doing that. And I have a better chance of progressing in that fashion. And it's so hard for people to see how taking a step back will actually propel them forward so much faster than if they just keep grinding through pain. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It was hard for you to see. It was hard for me to see. I was in the same boat, right? I like pushed it off so much that at a certain point I had so much pain, I couldn't do anything. And it was years of not being able to do much. Right. Uh, I think job as a coach is to kind of help, help show people kind of that stepping back is okay. Um, right. And that's a very individual thing, right? It's very like, certain people you're going to have to have different approaches with how you kind of communicate that to them and how you show them that some people are results driven you know you have to you have to kind of fix something on them make it a little bit better and then and then have them perform a little bit better and be like see i showed you um and some people will listen and everything in between but you know that's part of our job is getting people to really understand that concept that you're net you're you're making progress somewhere else which is, it's all going to come back around, right? You might be, you might be stopping making quote unquote progress on, you know, this one specific goal, you're going to make progress somewhere else and it's all going to intertwine. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you have to say for, if someone goes to a doctor, I feel like a lot of times doctors will say, stop weightlifting, especially with CrossFitters, right? Like we see it all the time. People come in, they're like, well, my doctor told me I should stop CrossFitting or I should stop doing high intensity fitness. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's that one's uh, frustrating, right? Because it's like, all right, doc, so I shouldn't lift. What should I do? Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I think a lot of times when somebody hears that, they're not given options after that. That's kind of the end of the conversation. Well, it hurts. Stop lifting. I mean, for me, I would say probably don't listen to that. But there's definitely some. There's a little bit of validity to that, where it's like, hey, if you know, if you're deadlifting all the time, or if you're deadlifting on a regular basis and deadlifting is causing you pain and you've injured yourself doing that, yeah, you need to take a step back from that. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to do that. It means you need to take a step back. Like we just talked about, you need to look at some things, what's going on, why is this causing me pain? And you got to work on it. And you can always come back. You should always, the goal should always be to do what you love to do, right? So if you love deadlifting, you hurt your back deadlifting and the goal is to get back to deadlifting. Yeah. You might need to take some time away from that. You got to fix some shit, you know, whatever you got going on, but the goal is always to get back to that. So I think if a doc says that, get a second opinion, you know, um, talk to the physio, talk to me, talk to, talk to you, like ask that doctor what they do for physical fitness. I would love to know, you know, for a doc that says stop lifting, it's like, all right, what do you do? You know? <laughs> Um, yeah, get a second opinion and just know that you, your body is very resilient. You know, our bodies are very resilient. Granted, right. If you snap your spine in half, you break your, you break some bone, you have some traumatic injury, you're going to need to take some time. But I think at, at a certain point, you can always get back to doing what you love to do or some version of that. Right. And modifications are totally okay. Like if you can't deadlift now, you know, what can you do? And for a long time, you had me doing Romanian deadlifts or single leg deadlifts and other things. I don't think I deadlifted for that full year and a half 
up until I started going back to group fitness classes and I texted you and I was like, can I deadlift? I, <laughs> I don't know if I can. So just let me know. But uh, I think that's important to know is that we can modify our movements in a way where we can keep moving. And that's honestly better than being completely sedentary because being sedentary is not going to do us any favors. Yeah. Movement is life and sedentary is death. Right. And like, I think what you just said, it makes so much sense. Like you can always do a version of something and it like that mindset of it's, it's really easy, especially when you're in pain to be miserable and to be like, fuck, like I can't do this. Can't do that. Can't do this anymore. It's like, you're right. You can't do that. So you can, that can be your mindset and you'll be a miserable human or you can be like, what can I do? Find these things that you can do. Be, be active and be stoked on it. Cause at least you can do something, you know, like you said, like anything is better than nothing. And, and a lot of that is, is really like a mindset thing. I, I love, I love this shit. Can't do that anymore. It's like, all right, you can't do that right now, but you will be able to do something and we'll get you back there. Yeah. And that's where we have to change our mindset uh, around modification and scaling because sometimes it can get a bad rap. It looks like you're, you know, quote unquote cheating or you're not quite as fit as everyone else who can do everything. And I feel like in group fitness spaces, there's that competitive edge because you're always looking next to you to see what somebody else is doing. You're always looking at what they weight they're lifting, what exercise they're doing. And we want to be able to do it all. But there is no shame in modifying an exercise, especially if it means that you're going to do it correctly. You're going to do it without pain. And it's going to help you actually develop the muscles to ultimately do that full version of the movement later down the line in a correct way. Yeah, totally. Like that is an issue with group fitness, though, because it takes a pretty good amount of humility to be able to kind of reel yourself back. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a tricky point. And that's where the coaching is really important. and. I think, you know, people that go to group classes are lucky to have a coach like you that can verbalize that exactly how you did. Um, Cause it's hard. It's, it's really hard. And it's, it takes, it takes a lot internally to be like, shit, like I need to reel this back and you have, and nobody can make that decision for you. Right. Like I know a million times as a young coach, when I would tell somebody like, Hey, you should probably modify that. And they're like, I don't want to do that. And you're like, all right, I tried, you know, <laughs> how as a, as I've matured as a coach, like I'm going to be a little bit more, uh, a little bit more active on really trying to like get the person to understand that. But yeah, when, and it comes down to it, it's on you. And it's, it's a tricky thing when you're looking at the person next to you, like, damn, I wish I could do that. Or when you at one point were able to do that, but you're feeling some pain, you got something going on and now you can't. It's like, yeah, got to remember you're going to get back there. And, and yeah, modifying is key. It's, it's a crucial part of actually coming back. Right. And I think I like to verbalize it as much as possible because it's still something that I'm working through, right? All of, all of my quote unquote old numbers are well beyond what I'm doing right now. And it's so easy to look back and go, oh my God, I used to be able to deadlift 245 pounds. There's no way I'm doing that now, you know, or even just this week, I worked through a flare up, then went back to the gym on Wednesday, we're power cleaning, which I just find so damn fun the week before I had gone heavier. And this week I had to mentally go, we're not going that weight that we did last week because we were in a different place. Then I'm just getting back from a flare. And it is such a mental effort at times to pull yourself back and say, and especially if you're feeling good, 
you're feeling good and you're like, oh, things don't hurt right now, but you're like, this is day one back in the gym. I can't just rip it. And I think people need to see that human side of even people who preach it struggle with it. And it's worth showing that so that people can learn, okay, like if it's hard for you, then I get that it can be hard for me, but it's necessary. Yeah. Yeah. It's a skill. You know, that's a skill like learning how to kind of self-regulate, I guess we would call it is a skill, something that you develop. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. And there's a lot of payment for that because you start to really understand your body better uh, and you start to feel better. But yeah, it's a skill just like any other skill and it's not easy to learn and it takes time and it takes dedication. And, you know, the more you practice that skill, the better you're going to get at it. And then long-term, the better you're going to feel, the less flare-ups you're going to have, the less you're going to be feeling this pain that sucks. So yeah, that's a huge one. Um, That's a huge one and, and a tough one. It is. It's a tough one. It requires you to check your ego. And I do have to say, choose your gym wisely. I think the coaching staff and the environment and that environment can be curated by both like the coaching and the staff, as well as the members and what kind of environment you're putting yourself in. So for instance, I had a client who we weren't working through injury per se, but we were working through high cortisol and she was continuously putting herself in group fitness classes that would elevate cortisol. And in her gym, they would guilt her for taking rest days, particularly a coach. But then the atmosphere was that high intensity atmosphere. And so you keep walking into a situation where you are essentially repeatedly triggered to do exactly what you shouldn't do, right? So if you continually walk into a gym that promotes ego lifting, that encourages that sort of thing, whether it's both from the members and or staff, that is going to be an environment you probably need to remove yourself from versus if you find a community that does cherish, move at the pace that is best for you, modify because that's the right way to go about it. And modifications are not a bad thing and, you know, listen to your body, then you're in an environment that's going to help you check your ego. That's going to help you learn that mindset, but you have to understand what's triggering you as well. Yeah. Seek that environment, seek that good environment, you know? Absolutely. If you're in pain, if you're miserable, the people that are pushing you for that one hour, you know, they're not with you for the rest of the day. They're not feeling that, that discomfort that's carrying over the rest of your life. Um, only, only, only we get to experience that on on a personal level. So yeah, you got to seek out that good environment. That's a huge one. Yeah. I like that. They're not living the rest of your day. (laughs) They're not experiencing it. It's really easy. Yeah. It's easy to hype somebody up for an hour and be like, yeah, push through. And then the next hour, you know? Yeah. You push through and then all of a sudden you're crippled for the rest of your day. And you're like, well, was that worth it? Yeah. And then, you know, and then that, you know, whatever that coach or that person's doesn't see you for a month. You come back after you kind of worked your shit out. Hey, where you been? Like, dude, I fucking destroyed my body in the last class. Took me a month to get, Oh, that sucks. Welcome back. You know, like you're, you're living through that pain. So yeah, you're, you're spot on on that. Exactly. Find an environment that cares about your wellness outside of the gym as well as inside for sure. One of the other biggest things that I feel like people get told, and I was told this at one point, I found this to always be one of the most confusing things is I struggled to ever get really a direct diagnosis for my back pain. And I feel like people 
threw tons of diagnoses at me. And one of them was your glutes don't fire. Is there truth to that? In my opinion, not really. You know, if your glutes didn't work, you wouldn't be able to walk. So when we, when you stand up and walk, your glutes are firing, right? So if your glutes were dead and they didn't work, you would not be able to stand up and walk. Maybe, you know, the verbiage needs to be that you don't have a great connection to your glutes or something like that. But yeah, nobody, nobody has, nobody that's in the space that we're in and the people that we're talking about this, this kind of population that we're talking about, you don't have dead glutes. Uh, you might not know how to fire them properly. You might not be activating them and they might be really, really weak potentially, but it's not that they're not working. I think there's a couple of really good ways for people to kind of, first of all, having a nice butt is especially now like glutes are the new abs, right? So if you got a nice butt, um, your life is probably a little bit elevated. So I think working towards having a nice booty is important. Um, and in order to have a nice butt, you have to kind of figure out how to connect your brain to it and how to, how to activate that musculature. So people want a couple like tips. I think there's two really good ones. One would be to do like your glute bridges or your hip thrusts with light to moderate weight for really high reps. And like anecdotally, I've had many clients, like many clients that, you know, I'm working with them. We go, they say, I don't really do hip thrusts because I don't feel my butt. I'm like, all right, let's go do a set of hip thrusts. We'll put, you know, a little bit of weight on the bar and we start doing hip thrusts and they're like, yeah, nothing. I feel my quads. A lot of people say they feel their quads on hip thrust. Yeah, I said that too. Yeah, a lot. Everybody says that, right? And yeah. you're 10 reps in and you're like, I feel my quads. Like, all right, keep going. And you get to like 15 reps, like, all right, still feel my quads, no butt. Like, all right, so now what I'm going to have you do is instead of bringing your bum all the way down to the ground and coming up, I want you to extend your hips. So come all the way up to the top of that hip thrust, come down just an inch or two, just a teeny little bit. And then squeeze your bum and come back up and then they keep going, you know, and then we're at rep like 20, nothing. Keep going. Rep 30. Okay. I'm starting to feel my butt. So, like, oh, okay. There it is. Right. Let's keep going. Let's do 10 more. And they're like, I can't do one more rep. My ass is on fire. Like, all right, cool. Now squeeze your butt and hold that top position for as long as you can. And then boom, all of a sudden they have glutes, you know? Uh, and that's what it takes. It's like, you got to one, check the ego and decrease the weight. And two, keep going just keep going i don't feel my glutes this exercise is stupid keep going do 50 do 100 you know what i mean like like go until your cheeks are on fire and you probably around rep 25 or 30 your butt is gonna be talking to you uh and another good one is like a like a hip extension you know on a ghd just get them on there and then instead of doing an active range just hold just squeeze your bum as hard as you can to hold that and try to hold for two minutes you will feel your butt like you've never felt it before right? Hold your, hold yourself up there for two minutes. You're locked in. So that, yeah, yeah. I, for two minutes, kudos, because I think you would program like 30 second holds and I would be praying for the end of that timer. Like you're cramping, right? Like your yeah, cheeks are, are so yeah. I think those are like big cues slash cures for people with dead glutes up the reps on those hip thrusts or do some isometric holds on like uh, either on your hip thrusts or on like a hip extension type of a movement. Yeah, that was a game changer for me because I, I was that client who came to you and I was like, I feel my quads, like all quads here. And we we decreased that depth 
and that changed things. And then you started programming the, those really high reps and I would finish a set and I would literally just have to sit there because I couldn't move after it. Cause it was so terrible. It's like one of those where it, I think it's the new Bulgarian split squat. I would rather do Bulgarian split squats all day than a set of 20 hip thrusts because that is just brutal. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely brutal. And, uh, you know, all the blood in your body goes to your cheeks. You do have to sit down after like, dude, I'm like lightheaded. I got to sit down. So yeah. That, so yeah, I don't think, I think most people don't have dead glutes. They've seen a little bit of coaching. Uh, and those are, those are my tricks of the trade. I love it. So going back to, you know, that functional fitness style group classes, do you think these kinds of classes or this style of fitness has more potential to cause back issues as opposed to any other workout style or workout class? That's a tricky, a tough question because in some ways, yes. And then in other ways, kind of no, right? Like I'll give you both sides. Yes, because of a few things. A lot of times there's no assessment. So somebody comes in, you know, their first day and we're doing, we're snatching, right? Mm -hmm. Why are we snatching? I don't know. Because we, because snatching is cool. It's not like we're like looking to see if this individual you know, has these prerequisites in there in every joint in their body, in their wrists and their shoulder and their knees, ankles. Like there's a lot of kind of assessment that should go into some of these really technical, really like tough skill and skill based lifts. Uh, we kind of just throw people in the fire. So, you know, if, if the coaching is not top tier, there's definitely a potential for injury to just do that. But at, on the flip side of that coin, if say they're not in a group fitness class, if somebody's out on their own, they're like, Hey, I'm just lifting weights. How many people have we met, you know, in our group fitness classes that have been working out for 10 years on their own and they come in and they can't move right at all. Right. So like the group fitness thing is, is very tricky. If you have a good coach, like, like we, like we just talked about, right. If you're in this good community in a good space with coaches who care coaches that are well-educated, you're going to be in a great spot. But if you end up in a spot with a coach who's kind of checked out, who maybe is hyper aggressive with people that are kind of pushing you, but you have no idea what you're doing, the risk is, is starting to ratchet up there. Um, so short answer would be if you're in a good spot, if you're in a good gym or in a good class with a good coach, I think your risk is fairly low and you're going to learn a lot and you're probably going to you know, benefit greatly from that. If you go to some group class and it's, and there's plenty of them out there, right? It's a shitty coach and it's shitty programming. You're probably going to get hurt. Yeah. Hard to know the difference if you don't, if you don't know the area too. Like some people it's trial by fire. You go in, you go to some gym, you know, you're, you're there for a month and you're hurt. Hopefully you check out another gym. You find some great spot, you know, where Diana's coaching and you know, you're like, oh, okay, this is what it's supposed to be. This is how it's supposed to be, you know? Yeah. I think a good, easy way to tell if you're stepping foot into a gym that's truly going to coach you versus a gym that is probably not is just from day one, is that coach actually coming around and giving you genuine cues for your movement or are they just a cheerleader? Because I think I've seen it a lot of times I've seen coaches just rely on pushing you from an intensity perspective, rah, rah, good job things like that. But if a coach is actually coming up to you and genuinely taking the time to correct your form and to change how you're moving, 
that is usually a good way to tell, okay, I'm in a gym that's going to care about that kind of thing rather than. That's a great sign. Or like we talked before, the progressing thing, like, you know, like if, if the coach comes over and is like, Hey, let's, let's back this off and let's try kind of a different version of the same thing, you know, and they're, they're working on, you know, if you, if you go in and there's a couple of people doing some other stuff and you look at them and like, I wonder why they're doing that. You see the coaches working with them. It's like, all right, that's a good sign. This coach knows how to help somebody progress through a movement. Yes. Um, yeah. And then if you got some coach who's kind of looking down at their phone and looking up every once in a while and calling out the time, it's like, cool. You're not a coach, you're a timekeeper. Um, mm-hmm. And you're not helping anybody. And somebody's, you know, going to drop, drop a barbell on their head or somebody's going to go home with a tweaked back. And yeah, and there's, there's a lot of that stuff still going on. I think it's getting better. I think for sure, like in our overall, in this community, like the classes are for sure getting better, but yeah, like, like you said, look for a coach that's actually doing some work. Yeah. I think it's getting better. I think it still has a long way to go. And I think part of that is it's a fairly unregulated industry still, and I don't think it's really going to change. And if I've learned anything, a lot of it comes down to, you know, for these coaches, have they been mentored? And I got really, I feel like I got really lucky at a lot of the gyms I worked at. I did get mentorship. I was actually made into a better coach and I've seen some gyms just do absolutely nothing about that with their staff. And if the gyms are not investing in their staff and are not trying to make their staff better, then that's where you start to have that, that lazy coach that just sits there and sits on their phone or just cheers you on, cheers you on and manages the clock. And that's where it becomes an issue. Yeah. And, you know, luckily a lot of those gyms don't make it for very long. Right. Um, but if you happen to end up in one and you, you know, you injure yourself in there, it's very unfortunate, but yeah, like you gotta, you gotta look for the coach that's actually doing some coaching and, you know, like part of it too, with functional fitness, there's an individual component where it's like, if you had a surgery on your knee, Maybe you should, you know, like in your life and you're not really confident with something, don't go crazy. Like there's, there is an individual, you can't always, you know, blame it on everybody. Like if somebody's doing something stupid and they hurt themselves, like that's kind of on them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean that. I think that actually, I think crappy coaches a lot of times will kind of blame the athlete, right? Like mm-hmm. how often that where, you know, somebody comes in and, you know, like, they're not being coached and they hurt themselves. And then the coach is like, well, did you drink enough water today? You know, did you, did you stretch? Did you, you know, whatever. It's like, all right, coach, what did you do? So there is, there's, it's both sides of the coin. But a lot of times when you're going to this group fitness class, you're paying for this coach to, to really make sure that you're doing what you need to do and to kind of like be looking out for you. So you don't know what you don't know, right? Yeah. Why you're going to a group fitness class or a personal trainer, or you're reaching out to someone to guide you is a lot of people do not know that they need to stretch outside of the gym. They don't know how to, they don't know what mobility is and that it even exists. They don't know that they have to engage their core unless somebody tells them. And I, I do agree. I think it comes from both angles, right? And if your coach does not take a more proactive approach to your fitness. I mean, I know for me, if it's the first time I've ever coached somebody, I always approach them. Hey, are there any injuries or limitations that I should know about? 
because that is the first question that needs to be asked no matter what. An able-bodied person can walk in and you can make whatever assumption that you want, but especially with back pain, that's one of those things that is pretty hidden. There, a lot of people just deal with it on a regular basis. And as someone, as soon as someone tells me, Hey, like I've got X, Y, Z going on. Okay, great. Do you know what kind of movements trigger that? Right. Someone's like, Oh, I've got a shoulder problem. Okay. Well, can you press overhead? Can you press in front of your body? And your coach should be getting to know you and should be getting to know what kind of limitations you might have. And I also think that sometimes members will go, Oh, well, it's no big deal. And I think it's still helpful if you communicate to your coach clearly what, what kind of pain you might experience because that way they can help you better, right? So don't blow that question off either on your end, but be willing to have that two-way communication with your coach to say, this is what I've got going on. This is probably where I need to modify. And then I'll just check in with them throughout the class. If there's a questionable movement, I'll go up to them and be like, how is this feeling? You know, I don't want people working through pain. I think that's sometimes what I see a lot is people will start to do a movement because they want to be able to do it, but then they will be like, oh, well, it feels like, okay. Okay. Well, it feels just okay. Or do we need to modify it? Because I tell people don't wait until it hurts to stop. Yeah. And I think, I think that question, right? Like, do you have any injuries or limitations? Like you said, the, it's the first question you ask and that's a sign of a good coach, right? Like that person if it's their first day in their group fitness class might not even feel comfortable saying it unless you ask them. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like oh, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and do whatever I'm told. It's like you asking that is already kind of breaking that barrier between the coach, you know, and the athlete or the coach and the the client uh, and you're getting that information. So, you know, people, people might not want to kind of like put that out, you pulling that out from them and getting to know them on as soon as you, as soon as the first time you see them, that's huge. You know, and that should be done every day in every group class. Yeah. And you brought up a great point. Not everybody is always willing to say in front of a class. So I feel like when I initially started group class coaching, uh, I was told, okay, just like ask the class, right? Does anybody have any injuries? And that's not really the best way to go about doing it. And I did actually have one person come up to me after the fact, she was like, I didn't say anything because I wasn't comfortable doing so in front of everybody. And so now I try to make it a much more one-on-one conversation. It's more personable. It's less of, all right, like who's injured here and more of, Hey, what do you have going on that I need to know? So I think that's also good to know. Yeah. That's a great one. Absolutely. Something that I mentioned earlier that I, I do believe we talked on the podcast the last time, but I think it's worth repeating is how back pain can also be impacted by our nervous system, right? And so for instance, a lot of times when I would text you, hey, I'm going through a flare up, I'd be like, I'm not really surprised because I'm going through a lot of stress right now. And people will be really surprised when I I even had a client, she told me her back flared up. And I was like, well, that makes sense because you're experiencing a lot of high stress right now. She's like, I didn't even think about that. So what is that connection between our nervous system and pain that people should probably understand? Yeah, that's like the, the psychosocial aspect of pain. Uh, and it's, you know, like they study, that this is being studied all the time. It's a tricky one because I think we did, we talked about it a little bit in the last podcast where we said pain is not always indicative of an injury. Pain is basically your, your brain protecting your body somehow. So 
you know, you could, if you're somebody with chronic back pain and you've, you know, you've been out of pain for a while and, you know, all of a sudden, like your back is starting to hurt, but you haven't really done anything. It's like, oh yeah, I'm stressed. It is, it's, it's just, the sensitivity is usually being created by your brain and your nervous system as like a protection method. So like you said, high stress, you know, if you've had poor sleep, dehydration, like there's a lot of things that aren't necessarily an injury that can cause your back pain to come back. And the way you kind of work through that is, is desensitizing. And like you said, being aware of it. So it's like, if you're like, I know I'm really stressed out, I'm having some back pain. Well, the first thing is, all right, let's work on, you know, whatever methods that we use to kind of start to, to deload that stress and see if that starts to pull the back pain away. But it can also, you can have a stressful week and then you have back pain because of it for two or three weeks. Right. And then it's hard to work out. And then you got to work in that desensitizing. You got to start to kind of ramp stuff back up in a slow, intelligent, progressed manner. Cause it's tricky, you know, like for most of us, when, when you've had some back pain, even if you get out of it, it's going to, it's going to show its face again, you know, yeah. whether it's an injury or whether it's this psycho psychosocial kind of side of it, your nervous system can for sure kind of make you feel these sensations of pain, uh, when you don't necessarily have an injury and knowing how to address that and work through it would be, Hey, let me get my sleep game back on point. Let me try to figure out ways to kind of de-stress in my life. And then let me start to desensitize my back with, you know, if when you're, when you're working through back pain, like you've experienced this and I have, there are certain things that always kind of make you feel a little bit better. There's certain, there's like your go-tos, right? And then when you're having that psychosocial kind of back pain flare up, it's, yeah, it's addressing it, the sleep, the stress, hydration, nutrition, kind of dialing those things back in and then just go right to your go-to kind of, Hey, I know this always makes my back feel a little bit better. This is where I'm going to start. Right. And I'm going to start with just a little bit. And then I'm going to start to kind of ramp back up. Yeah. And it's very similar to what you said before as well, where it's our mindset around pain, right? We can sit there and go, woe is me. You know, I'm in pain. This sucks. My life sucks. I can't do what I want. And that is feeding the pain because now you're triggering your nervous system. Yeah. Versus, you know, what I learned to do was be less frustrated with my pain. Okay. I'm going through a flare up. This is, you know, this is normal. It happens. I can deal with it. I can move forward, you know, especially now that I know what to do when I'm going through a flare up and I feel a lot more empowered in my own pain management, but that mindset shift is huge because the longer that we sit in that self-pitying space you're just feeding that pain and you're feeding that inflammation in your body from triggering that nervous system. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah. You're making your only. <laughs> yeah. You're just making it worse and it's hard. Like pain sucks. It's a terrible place for people to be in, but I think it's worth understanding the connection to our nervous system. Cause I feel like people exist in such high stress. And that's one of those things that we've agreed is just normal once again, when it shouldn't be normal. And we, we need to have that balance and we need to take that time to actually manage our stress in legitimate ways, in ways that actually calm our nervous system down that I don't think a lot of people appreciate. Yeah. And that's, you know, another one, it takes time, it takes energy and it's a skill that you develop 
you know, for yourself. I think like, I think a big takeaway from something that's kind of like good that can come from back pain is this self-awareness, right? Where we're like, man, like I really need to like get a better understanding of my body inside and out and what's going on. So that's, you know, when you're, when you're going through some pain, that could be another way to kind of flip it and be like, Hey, like I'm learning about myself from this, you know, shitty situation that I'm in right now, I'm going to come away with some positive things and I'm going to, I'm going to learn some things about myself and how to manage, you know, my own body in a better way. Mm, Love that. I definitely feel like I learned a lot about myself in the time I rehabbed, right? Like I learned, I mean, I was definitely an ego lifter for a long time. I was definitely pushed by people around me. Uh, I definitely at the beginning when I started rehabbing, I was like, this fucking sucks and I hate it. And I learned a lot about, you know, pulling back, listening to pain and managing it, dealing with my stress overall. And I think you have a great point there and just getting to know yourself, being a lot more self-aware and being able to manage that in a space where you're no longer you're no longer just going off of what everybody else is doing around you and you're doing truly what's best for you. Got to do it. Yeah. Cause otherwise you just feel this like enormous pressure all the time. And it just adds to that stress. Ooh, yes, absolutely. One of the conversations that I feel like is happening a lot on social media now is people are starting to come out and express that we have been told to lift with straight backs all of our life. And now people are saying it's okay to train with a rounded back and, you know, it's not as functional, let's say, to only train with a stiff back. And, you know, the, the example I brought up was great. You can deadlift 300 pounds in the gym, but all of a sudden you bend down to pick up a sock and you throw your back out, right? What's going on with that message? And what do people need to understand a little bit better about where we're going and understanding back pain and how we move functionally? Yeah, there's, I think a a good way to think about it is there is no inherently dangerous way to move. You know, we think about what our bodies are really capable of. There's, as long as you intelligently progress and train something, there's a lot of ways you can move and or lift that are completely safe, that might not look safe. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean that like, people should go and start practicing training with a round back just because of it. Right. Like that doesn't really make sense, especially if you're, you know, a sedentary person and you're just kind of getting into it, but it's the paradigm is definitely shifting, right? Like a good example. Have you ever heard of the knees over toes guy? Yeah. Right. He's built a huge business off the knees over toes thing. Right. And that's, it, it kind of ties into the rounded back thing. It's like, people were taught forever that your knees should never travel over your toes. This guy comes out, he's like, nah, that's wrong. He's built this huge business and he's, you know, he's not a doctor or anything. He's a, he's an athlete and he has thousands of, of testimonials of people that he's gotten out of pain. And the the same goes for people with round back deadlifting and stuff like that. So I think the big takeaway, there's a couple of big takeaways. One is we don't live our life in a neutral spine. So if your goal, right, if your goal is to live your entire life with a neutral spine, you're good. You're that thing's going to break, right? You're going to have problems. You can't, there's no way to do it. Um, Your spine is also designed to bend. 
So if you feel pain, if you're in pain, yeah, you probably shouldn't do shit that hurts. But if you're not in pain, if you have a healthy body, I think that it's a good move to start slowly and intelligently progressing ways to move your body that aren't necessarily like the standard, right? Because if you live your life in these, it's the same thing as being sedentary, right? It's like, if, if you're sedentary all the time, when you go to move your body, it's going to feel like shit. But if you move your body, but you only kind of do it in a neutral spine, that's when an injury is going to happen, right? Like you're, you're the perfect deadlifter. You, you deadlift with a neutral spine all the time. You're great. Then you go to some group class or you go for like a one rep max and you shift a little bit on that deadlift and bam, your back blows out, right? Because all your body is used to is that perfect position. And the second you are one millimeter out of that perfect position, something explodes. Where like maybe if you had trained some different positions, you had trained some flexion stuff, trained maybe a little bit of loaded extension. And again, you've done it in an intelligent, progressive way. Your the resilience of your body is greater than somebody who has not done that. And I think, you know, when we think about exercising and fitness, a lot of times we're thinking about it in like a very small box. And it's like there's right and there's wrong. But in reality, your body is designed to move in as many ways as you can think of, right? And we go back to that hunter-gatherer thing. Like somebody's hunting, they're gathering berries and they squat down. They're not always squatting down with their knees tracking over their toes, their knees driving out perfectly upright. You know what I mean? Like one foot's off to the side, you're grabbing some berries here, you're kind of leaning this way. Like your body is designed to move. Your body is designed to withstand a lot of stuff. If you do some crazy shit, right? You like try to one rep max, some bent back, friggin' whatever. Yeah, something's gonna explode. But I think the idea of moving in a lot of different ways and and help and letting your body kind of adapt to a lot of different movements is a really good idea. That was kind of long-winded. Hopefully that made sense. No, I I think you explained it really well because I I think it's a really simple understanding of if you don't train your body in different positions, then it's gonna struggle to lift in those positions. And you know, the first time my friend sent me a TikTok with a Jefferson curl and she was like, is this okay? And I actually didn't know at the time when she had sent it to me and I looked into it, I was like, yeah, that's actually a pretty legitimate lift. And then eventually you started adding that actually into my programming and I got used to doing a Jefferson curl. And it's, you know, if you guys aren't familiar with it, you literally round your spine as you reach down essentially or your toes and then you round your spine to come back up. And you don't, you probably won't load it the way you would load a deadlift per se, but if done right and done correctly, it's a good, it's one of those movements that you could do to train your spine. Yeah, that's actually a great example because that one is gaining popularity on social media right now. And you can, if you're cruising on Instagram on some fitness pages, you'll see people with like Jefferson curling hundreds of pounds, 300, 400 pounds. It's incredible. And their backs are fine. And then a lot of people look at that and they're like, damn, like you're going to blow out your back. It's like, no, it would blow out your back. But that person has intelligently progressed that movement to where that is a perfectly safe move for them. And our bodies are resilient enough to adapt to whatever stress we put on them. It just has to be done in a smart way. It has to be done in a progressive way. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's almost hard to believe, right? Like when you see some of the stuff that people are doing, you're like, damn, there is no way. But they've, it's not like, you're looking at a snapshot, right? You're, we're looking at this 
one moment in time and you're not seeing the hours and the years that people have put into the quality of their movement. I think another important kind of thing to, to remember is you can't move where you can't move. And what I mean by that is like, if you can't bend forward, that's a problem, right? Like if you can't do a Jefferson curl, that's a problem because what if you need to do that? Like there's going to be, there's going to be moments in time where you may need to do that. And if you've never trained that motion, you're in trouble, you know, or a side bend or a whatever. Like if, if you've never moved, if you, your body's capable of going through all these ranges of motion, but if you've never trained them, if you've never gone there, your nervous system has no kind of idea of where it's at in space. These muscles have never been there. Like you can't move where you can't move. So move as much as possible. Like go into these positions, explore this stuff. Don't always load it, right? You don't need to do it heavy, but explore these positions and start to build this capacity in your tissues and your body will become way more resilient, you know, but it takes time. It takes a long time. I love that. But it brings back fitness to functionality rather than fitness always being so aesthetically driven. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, functional is a catchphrase that we, that we throw out there. Like we reel people in with uh, function, functional okay. fitness. You know, like somebody sees like uh, maybe you go to the gym, you know, and you see a lady doing a bicep curl and like the the functional fitness person kind of scoffs. Like, That's not functional. Like, you don't know that person's story. You know, like maybe that lady just had a baby, you know, and she's doing a bicep curl. She's going to hold her kid with that arm for four hours a day. And she's a stronger bicep. Like people are looking at things. Like, oh, that's not functional. That's not everything is functional. It just depends on what you're doing in your life. And like, like everything is functional. Every movement you can do is functional. Moving is functional. And the more, the more you do of it, the, the better you're going to feel and the better you're going to be at being a fucking human. Hell yeah. I love that. The better you're going to be at being a human. <laughs> Mic drop. Like we got, we're literally like, we're in this body. It's so funny. Cause like, we're we're in this body and it's like i think it would be a cool world where everybody like really cared about what we're capable of doing not just you know these things that we kind of care about now and there's you know there's communities that do it but you know i think it's really cool and i think as people progress and spend some time they're like damn like this shit is cool like my body is like a cool thing and i have it and i'm only here for a little i'm here for a short time and like i want to do some cool shit with it like let's like build that you know yeah absolutely I love that. And that's, I think it translates to fitness so well, because a lot of times people look towards weight loss or looking a certain way for their motivation, which a lot of times does not motivate people long-term to move their bodies or people will explicitly do very specific exercises with some guarantee that it will shape them versus having that mindset of, let me figure out what I can do. And now all of a sudden you're doing more exercises that might not be related to what you look like and you might be more adventurous and you're also more motivated by that yeah totally yeah if you're yeah if you're training for how you look it makes it honestly makes more sense to do more stuff because basically like doing hard shit makes you look better when it really comes down to it right it's like that's why people do these group fitness they want to go hard it's like all right so do something that you're not good at. Do something that's challenging and you're probably going to end up visually looking a little bit better from it, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, training different ways. Last question, super interesting topic that you actually brought up for us to talk about on the podcast, but it was about the use of performance enhancing drugs in the fitness world and how these can affect our perception of performance and what is possible as well as the usage of them in rehabilitation. So what's your take on that? I think it's a, I think it's a huge thing. Um, I think it's cool that it's talked about a little bit more now. People are a little bit more open about like usage of that stuff. Let's first, I think the first thing to dive into is the perception in the fitness community, right? And it's like this, uh, this like the no days off thing, you yes. know? And you can definitely do that when you're friggin' juiced to the gills. And mm -hmm. a lot of people are, and maybe they're not talking about it. And so, you know, these average people that are going to a group fitness class might have some hero that they look up to that never takes a day off. That's friggin' jacked, single digit percent body fat all year round. And like, that's me. That's what I want to be. And it's like, all right, let's be honest. And it's not, you know, it's, it's tricky because you don't want to point the finger and be like, hey, everybody's on something, this yeah. and that. And I'm not doing that. But there's definitely more people that are taking pharmaceutical substances to enhance their physique for, you know, Instagram to make money to sell programs or to compete at a high level. And so if you're, if, if all these people that we're looking up to, you know, there's a good amount of them are probably taking something. It's kind of twisting the perception of what we think is possible within our bodies. Right. It's like, Hey, like I want to gain, I want to gain 40 pounds of muscle in a month. Like, dude, you're not going to do that. Or honey, you're not going to do that. You know, it's just not how it works. Like, well, you know, this person on Instagram did, it's like, okay, like, do you know that person? Do you, do you honestly know, like if they've, you know, dived into these PEDs. So the perception that the perception that it's giving people is kind of like this false idea of like what is possible. And that doesn't mean it's not possible over a long time, but you know, certain things like the amount that people are training, the amount of weight that they're lifting, the way that they look all the time. Like sometimes you got to bring into question, like, Hey, maybe some of these people are taking some shit. And if I'm not taking it, I can't expect these same results. That doesn't mean go take it. That doesn't mean, you know, you need to do what you need to do, but be aware that there's definitely people on social media and there's definitely people competing at a very high level that are making money off their body. And so they're doing whatever it takes to look the best and to perform the best that they can. Keep that in mind. Also outside of, you know, outside of PEDs, what I try to explain to people, because I saw this heavily in CrossFit, mainly because you have the CrossFit games, right? Most group fitness does not have the games. I think if anything, people who go to the gym and get really into weightlifting have like bodybuilding, that's their, you know, bodybuilding competitions, that's their equivalent. But I definitely saw this, especially in CrossFit where people would be like, well, Matt Frazier trains for three hours a day. So I'm going to train for three right. hours a day. I'm like, okay, well, think about it. Matt Frazier is sponsored by, is he still sponsored by Nike? But, you know, at least at one point he was. So he's getting how much money from Nike to do athletics as his job. You work a nine to five. You probably also have kids or animals to take care of among your other responsibilities, such as like taking care of your home, 
feeding yourself and whatnot. Matt Frazier is fitnessing for his literal job. He is also probably getting a shit ton of his supplements for free through sponsorships. He's also, he has time to sleep eight plus hours. He also has time to do Ramwad for like an hour at a time, right? And you're looking at just, it's not the same. And the level of whether they are on PEDS or not, the level of recovery that they can do to match their training, it's more of a one-to-one versus the average everyday person who's working is not eating nearly enough for them to be able to upkeep with that level of fitness activity. They are not spending any time or enough time doing mobility and stretching and recovery. They're I can barely get people to sleep seven hours consistently every single night. And it's just, there's no equivalent and people don't see that. And they want those results without realizing, Hey, yeah, they're posting their workouts. Cause that's the cool part. That's the part that's fun. And that you actually interact with on Instagram and does well, they're probably not, po- they're not posting themselves sleeping and they're not telling you about, you know, what advantages they have over what you don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all tied in. I, like you nailed it. Right. And then, you know, those same people are like, damn, like I'm training five hours a day and I feel like shit. It's like, there you go. You just, you just laid it out for them. <laughs> exactly. And that's why I went from being the type of person who I trained six days a week and I trained multiple hours a day and I was going to the gym to do CrossFit. And then I would go back for a weightlifting session, or then I would also do, uh, I would run and my body felt terrible because I wasn't taking care of it. And I tell people now that I feel like I'm in the best shape of my life working out four days a week because I can match my recovery to that. And I feel so much better and I'm able to get better results as a result of that. And it's just glorified to be in the gym all the time and to be working so hard and to have that discipline to be in there when nobody else wants to be there. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's like the ticket. And so I think the big takeaway from that is, yeah, like one, don't be naive about what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, don't, don't be naive about the potential that, you know, maybe your hero might be not only a professional at recovering, but maybe taking some substances that are enhancing their performance. And two, need to kind of like know who you are and not be like, Hey, this person does this. So I'm doing that because they are not you, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that perception of what these very select few people are doing and then potentially having pharmaceutical help on top of that is not who we are, you know? Um, and I think another thing about the PEDs that kind of like a brighter side, not talking about um, necessarily like anabolic steroids or like, like stuff like that, but more stuff in the recovery kind of realm, uh, things that, like compounds like peptides and stuff that are designed to like help people heal. They're doing a lot of good work on that stuff. And I think in the near future, these things are going to be readily available and potentially pretty safe. So I'm like, I'm kind of keeping my eye out for that because I'm learning, you know, if anybody like if you're into podcasts and you watch Joe Rogan or Huberman or the more plates, more dates guy, a lot of people are talking about this stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on. And again, we're not talking about like anabolic steroids. We're talking more things that are kind of made to help your your tendons and your ligaments heal 
I think there's some good work going on with that. And I think educating ourselves, not only as coaches, but as individuals and kind of like learning a little bit about it is going to pay off because these things are, they're working on this stuff. Like, and then there's going to be an option that isn't surgery. You know, like if you are really banged up and you got something going on, there's going to be options that aren't, Hey, like cut into my body, take something out, sew me back up. There's going to be other routes if you're in a really, really bad spot. Yeah. But also keep in mind that we can't just outsource our pain to other things to heal. And a lot of times these things can be super helpful to us, but we still have to do the work. Yeah. There will never be a magic pill or a magic shot or a magic anything to to heal us. It all starts within. But yeah, like I said, um, or like we said, like what we see happening is a snapshot, you know? Yeah. What we see, what we, what, what we see people being capable of is like, if there's so much more going on, there's so much more to the picture. So working out five hours a day is usually not the answer. No, no, it is not live and learn that one. Uh, but it is not the answer. Yeah. Super interesting discussion there, but any final thoughts on anything, literally anything at all that we touched upon here or that you want to leave the listeners with? Yeah. So, I mean, I think people, if, you know, if you're listening to this particular podcast, you got something going on in your back, you know, you've had something going on in your back and you want to stay ahead of it. Seek out, you know, a coach or talk to like a, a physio or talk to somebody that specializes in this stuff because back pain is so individual. I think we've touched on it a lot over these two uh, podcasts that we've done. You know, yeah. there's a lot, there's the psychosocial side, there's the gym side, there's the you know, the movement side, there's so many things going on and your back pain is, is yours. It's not ever going to be the same as anybody else's. Like what you have going on is very individual and unique and you need to approach it in a unique way for yourself. So seek out as much, as much help as you can. And, you know, I, I hope people feel free to reach out to me if they want some help or reach out to you or seek somebody. Cause like, you know, if you're in a lot of pain and you're miserable, and you're going through it, it doesn't need to be that way. And it, it's going to, it's going to be there for a while. Like you're going to have to work through it. It's going to like, it took, it took you a couple of years. It took me a couple of years. This isn't something that we're fixing in, in a month or two months. It's, it's there and you got to work through it. So really seek out somebody to kind of, to help you through it. Um, invest, invest in yourself, spend some money, you know, like, seek a coach out. Don't, don't be that person. That's like, ah, I'm going to put it off. Cause it's going to get worse. Usually it gets worse before it gets better. You know? Yeah, definitely did for me. I cannot say enough that, you know, I'm so grateful that I finally went to you and I was like, dude, <laughs> I specifically said, you know, like, tell me how you, you fixed it. Like, who do I need to go to? And you were just like, I can help. And I was like, done you know, like, and that was the best investment I made, but also going in with the mindset of I mentally committed to that process for a year. I had no idea and also no expectation for where I was going to be in one year. I simply said, you tell me what to do. I will do whatever it is that you tell me. And I'm sticking to this for a bare minimum of a minimum of one year. And we did, it was exactly about like 17 months of work. And, you know, if we look at it now, like I am still working through that, 
And it's still a process. Like I would not say that my process ended at 17 months, but you have to be committed to that process. And you also have to know that it's worth it in the end and that this is not some setback, but this is setting you up to be better down the line. Yeah. Well, I I think you saw me probably, you know, when I was working on my stuff at at the gym, you probably saw me in there for a year just doing my thing. That's Um, exactly what it was. You and I would vibe on it. I would be like, all right, what are you working on today? And you'd be doing all your crazy shit in the back. But I knew you were in a ton of pain. Yeah. And it took a really long time to get out of it. And like you said, you know, you're my, my, you know, dealing with this pain is not definitely not all the way behind me. Yours is not either. It's like, it's helpful to like work with somebody or to gain this knowledge. So after a certain amount of time, it's like, all right, you have this grasp on it. You know, you have this grasp, Hey, you know, you personally are at a point where I think you had that flare up and you're like, dude, I know exactly what to do. Like I know how to, and that's that. That's where, that's where we need to get to, to kind of move forward. You know, you need to get to that point where you're like, all right, I, I know exactly what to do and when to do it when I have something coming up, you know, or back pain flaring up. Yeah. And be humble enough to do it. Be okay with saying, you know what? This doesn't feel right. Yeah. It's, it's doing the non-sexy stuff. I do, I, I do sled and carries every week for long periods of time. I don't necessarily love it, you know, but it's keeping my back where I want it to be. And, you know, I know the things that I need to do, you know, the things that you need to do. So I think if people, you know, spend a little bit of time working with somebody, then they can all get to that same point too, because it's definitely doable, but it does not end. (laughs) It is a process, but I will be dropping your information in the show notes so that if anybody wants to reach out, I'm good for if you want to commiserate. Or if you want to talk about just what's worked for me, I I am happy to share that. But if you want a pro to help actually walk you through this process, David is definitely the guy to do it. Yeah, I'm here to help for sure. I'm definitely here to help. Cool. Well, thank you for all your insight. Thank you again for a great conversation. I always love touching base. Maybe we should just do this like periodically and just talk shit on the podcast and people seem to like it. Yeah, I love it. Maybe we'll do part three. We'll see. Part part three coming soon. thank you for tuning in to listen to the anti-macro podcast i am so happy to be a part of your health journey if you liked this episode be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts you're now one step closer to ditching diet culture and finding real food freedom 